0: Love Talk Radio. everywhere. My name is Michael Cullen, also known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. And on behalf of my partners, I welcome you back to a Messian Podcast. It's been two weeks since we've last aired. Sometimes real life gets in the way. What can you do? Uh, But that just means we have much to discuss. So without further ado, allow me to bring on my partners in all matters orange and blue first. Our CEO of this operation, the converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell. How are you, my friend?
1: What's going on on location in Hell's Kitchen? Uh, it's a nice, you know, end of of summer slash beginning of fall night. Uh, and you know, I don't, I'm I'm not sure what the Mets are going to do, but they're right in the thick of it. And you know, what more can you ask for out of September?
0: That said, welcome to autumn. Uh, next up he goes by Mets killing me on Twitter. His travels may have killed him, but I know he's alive and well and hailing from Connecticut, Rich Sparago. <laughs> Welcome back to the tri state area, my friend. Hello.
2: Hi, Mike. Hi, Sam. Um yeah, you know, the Mets, uh boy, uh, there's a lot to talk about, like you said. And um you know, I'm sure we'll get into everything, but it, it's kind of interesting. If you think about the All-Star break, you know, right when that, when that happened, if you said to somebody that we would be talking about the Mets being mathematically alive going into the last week of the season, I think anybody would have laughed. But they are. doesn't look too good, but they are. And uh, it's kind of amazing, as they say.
0: Well, they have a punctuous chance, as they say. Uh, they're 10-6 since we last spoke. Or, or you and I last spoke, Sam. Uh, and they're 14 and 8 since that crippling uh, six-game losing streak against the Cubs and the Braves. So, like we said before the show started, you know they're winning, they're just not winning enough. And perhaps along the way, you know they inflicted irreparable damage upon themselves. Uh, so let's let's kick things off this way. With regard to the regular season, all but seven games are behind us. Therefore, we have a near-complete body of work to discuss, dissect, and debate. There's no more uh, how about this or that. No more what ifs. No more no more maybes. At this juncture, it's all about what you've done. What goes on the back of the baseball card? You know, you've either proved your worth or you have not. So here we are. The Mets will likely finish at or above 500, or so we hope, for the first time since 2016, which incidentally is the last time they qualified for the playoffs. And prior to 2015, you'd have to go all the way back to 2008 for their last 500 season, 500 or better. They're presently 81-74, and 74, seven games over 500, and four and a half games back of the second wild card position. So my questions that I will ask of you gentlemen is the 2019 regular season a success and would making the playoffs change any of your opinions you're about to share this season? Sam, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, you know, we were pontificating about it uh, before we got on air. You know, is this looked at as a, a success, you know um, I think considering the roller coaster of emotions that we've gone through, um, whether or not we make the playoffs, I have to say it is a success only because they really kind of they, 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 they kept the fight alive considering that they be they really have maybe, the, the, the worst of it is the bullpen and there's basically about four it was really like four or five arms that you know if they just have a little bit of a better season whether it's all in the head or what or they're injured or whatever it is then we're talking about a completely different season here uh, even though sometimes the offense gets in the way of their their own success um, I think that I think it's still a success. I think there's a lot of work to be done, but there's there's too much promise not to be happy about it. Um, and I still don't think, though, that this saves Mickey Callaway, because I still personally think that we'd be closer to where we need to be with him being a better manager, with uh, with a better manager at the helm.
0: Okay. Thank you for joining us on the Metsian Podcast. Good night, everyone. And evening. no, I'm just joking. Uh, Rich, you heard it, 500 seasons. As seasons go, is this a a success? Is it contingent on a playoff appearance?
2: You know, I I saw that debate raging on Twitter. Um, Might have been yesterday. And, um, you know, where I come down on that, Mike, is I think the season is a success um, because here's Why? What happened here is there's a lot to fear in the National League East. You know, you have the Braves, who are definitely something to fear. You know, with that young talent, they're going to be around forever. The Phillies spend like drunken sailors, so, you know, they're going to be competitive. The Nationals, who knows when their window closes, but they still have a great rotation and they seem to hang around. And someday the Marlins are going to be good. But what this season showed you is that the Mets have the – some of the ingredients necessary to compete with those teams. It also made it very clear what the Mets do not have and what they need to do to compete with those teams. So I think in, this, in the sense that you saw the emergence of some young players like Alonzo and McNeil, you saw the continued development of Conforto. Yes, I know he's a bit inconsistent, but you saw continued development there. Um, so you have a lot to be hopeful about. You have a pretty clear roadmap as to what needs to happen to make it better. Um, so, yeah, I think in the sense that you learned something, that the team was competitive, able to, um, able to hang in there. The resilience they showed is off the charts. I mean, if they gave you a grade for that, that's an A+. So I think the season is a success. The question is, where do you go from here, right? Because some of the things that made the season a success – Think about Zach Wheeler. They talked about that a lot today and a lot about that yesterday. What do you do with Zach Wheeler? Um, do you, If you don't bring him back, you've taken an enormous step back. So, yeah, the season was a success, and there are a lot of question marks still going into the off season. and, and I think we know what they are. I'm sure we're going to get into them. But, um, but overall, I would say, even though they're, they're, they will fall short of the playoffs unless an absolute miracle happens, For a lot of reasons, I think you can call this a a success.
0: Sam, to your points, and and like I said, along the way, this team inflicted irreparable damage upon themselves. Uh, Be it the bullpen implosion, late spring, early summer, or very recently with their lack of of hitting uh, and situational hitting and hitting with runners in scoring position, et cetera, et cetera. Was it one... Was it the other? Was it a combination of both? What say you, Sam? Sam? Rich, are you with me? I'm with you. Okay. Uh, looks like Sam dropped off for the moment. We'll try to pick him up very shortly. But, uh, I, you know, I'll throw it to you. Uh, it was Sam's and He brought up the bullpen implosions uh, and, and the offense in the same sentence. So, You know, uh, we're in the business of pointing fingers and placing blame on people. So you look back on the entire season, you know, that episode with the bullpen and all the blown saves, and and it really didn't stop, for that matter. And and then you have the the offensive shutdowns. So which was it? Was it both?
2: It was a bullpen. Um, Offensive shutdowns are going to happen. All teams go through them. Um, but the thing about the Mets, and the Mets would have sporadic brownouts of the offense, what what team doesn't have that? Um, but the bullpen being consistently bad all year, you know, I don't want to oversimplify things, but if they address that bullpen and retain Zach Wheeler... You have to think this team is right there next year. And, and I know that that sounds e- easier said than done, right, because you have to get a couple of reliable bullpen arms. You have the financial considerations. You have the availability of those players think about. But if they could get a couple of reliable bullpen arms and retain Wheeler, you know, to have that rotation stay intact, then, you know, it, the, the blueprint isn't hard to figure out. You know, I can live with the occasional offensive brownout. What I can't live with is the sixty-five blown saves. You know, I I can't I can't live with that. The the, the actual number there. You know, and, and it's just if they just address that, then you have to think they're well on their way. Um, so yeah, that that's that's where I'm pointing the finger of blame, in, in my opinion. How about yourself? Oh uh, wow, well,
0: you know what? I, I I'm with you. Offensive brownouts happen, uh, and, and they're to be expected. After all, if you hit a baseball successfully three times out of ten, you're doing something right. Uh, Sam, I'm not sure at what point you dropped off, but we're just trying to, you know, uh, we're just trying to narrow down. Looking back on the season now, in hindsight, hindsight is always twenty-twenty. Which was the worst of the was? Was it the bullpen implosions or, you know, the sporadic offensive blackouts?
1: No, I definitely think that it was the the bullpen because, you know, the offense will do their job uh, for eight or nine innings, and then the bullpen might erase all of the offense's work, at which point it rubs off on the offense, and then they don't hit as well in situational hitting the next day, or, you know, they're once more picking up the slack, like, it, it the bullpen has such a ripple as to how everybody is affected with the rest of the team. Um, it's got to be the bullpen 100% blame right there. Well,
0: you know,
2: that's a good way. Uh, go ahead, Rich. No, I was going to say, I want to throw one more thing in, and, and we may get there, Mike, but um, this idea that another thing I want to throw in is the Mets have to avoid – these long slumps, two years in a row, right? Last year in June, in 2018, June was epically bad. They won five freaking games in the entire month of June. This year, between May and June, they were significantly under 500. And what they have to do is avoid that, you know, because it's like you and I have talked about many, many times, Mike. You can't win a pennant in April or May, but you certainly can lose one. Every game counts. And these early season doldrums that they have that they have a pattern of falling into. You you make your work that much harder in the back end of the season. And and it's no, just, but I
1: mean it's not just it's not just like 2018 2019. You can look at like 2013 and 2014, Rich, and and see seasons that are exactly what you're talking about. Where had they just gotten? They had they not just been feeling it out for as long as 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 they tend to do. Uh and especially like that was a big thing for the Sandy Aldrich scenario was that it seemed like like the, the the general manager in the front office needed spring training going all the way into June just to like their own front office spring training to try to figure everything out. It 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 was just like, this is just a, a, a not just a modern-day thing. This is this has been happening for, like, 10 years or so.
2: You're right. All right. I mean, you're well, right. Let's, let's, go ahead, Rich. No, I'm done. I'm done.
0: No, 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 no. Go right ahead, please.
2: No, I was just agreeing with Sam that, that he's right. I'm good. I'm good on that point.
0: Well, what do we do then? Uh, upwards of 23 different pitches have made appearances out of the bullpen this season. Uh, so you know the the question is what do we do about it? Me, I have an answer, and part of it is grooming them in the minor leagues now. I, I know that's already been attempted, but I think you need a more concerted effort uh, towards that endeavor. Uh, scout the shit out of Double A for potential targets, and at the end of the day, you you have to spend on quality, you know, and not necessarily necessarily on quantity. So my question to you guys is: A. Do we trade, or do we attempt to trade Edwin Diaz? And who are the keepers, and who are the people that we jettison? I'll throw Lugo's name out there: Gisselman, Wilson. He signed through 2020. Aguilar is signed to a one-year deal. Familia is still signed through 2021. And 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 then we have the menagerie of of, of heroes: Chris Flexen and. and and Ganya, uh, Ganya and, and Tyler Bachelor and Paul Seawald and Mazza and Brad Brack and, and Tim Peterson, Corey Oswald, et etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera, So what direction do we take, Rich?
2: Well, th- that's a great question. And the, the soft underbelly of the – every team has a soft underbelly, but the Mets' soft underbelly is softer than most. You know, when you get past Lugo and Wilson – Familia at least can give you competence on occasion. He's maddening because he'll look he'll look like the old Familia for a day, then he'll look lost for a couple days. Um, so, but when you're when you're putting Drew Gagno, Chris Flexen, Chris Mazza in games, you have a pretty bad a very soft underbelly there, and that's what has to be addressed. So. My thought would be this. I would not get rid of Edwin Diaz. You'd be selling for pennies on the dollar on him. I would have, I would have uh, Phil Regan work with him. Uh, he looked good today. Yes, he had two walks, but he did strike out the side, which is become very, becoming very typical for him. He'll look lights out against a couple of batters, and he'll look horrific against a couple of batters in the same outing. But this kid has amazing electric stuff. Why would you sell him for pennies on the dollar? Work with him. Keep him around. I, I'm coming around to believe they probably should trade Syndergaard. And, and if they trade Syndergaard, maybe they in a deal where you know, maybe you have another piece in there, maybe you could get a really reliable bullpen arm and maybe another piece back. And I'll tell you why. I think Syndergaard's time has come and gone here. For whatever the reason, this whole thing with the personal catcher, I do think that the Mets are, are trying to play a little bit of a media game to make him look like a bad guy because I think their intent is to trade him before he become a free agent. So go with it. Go with it. Get him out of here. Get what you can back. You're not really selling low on him. You're not really selling high, but at least you might get fair value back. Maybe he has to go. Maybe you replace him in the rotation with Lugo because he's made it pretty abundantly clear he wants to be a starter. And now you're down a couple of arms in the bullpen. Then you focus on that. The the Guard return maybe has to be a very reliable or two bullpen arms. You have to spend a couple of dollars in the off season, um, and you have to deepen that bullpen. You have to make the days of Chris Flexen, Drew Gagno, and Chris Mazza. You have to make those days over. We we can't have it anymore. So work with Diaz. Familia's is not going anywhere. You're not. You'll get you'll get less than pennies on the dollar for him. So work with these guys who have to be here. Don't sell low. And address that darn bullpen. So that—that's my prescription.
0: Sam, how do you reconcile this bullpen? I think our closers on somebody else's AA affiliate. What say you?
1: I mean, you just—you can't have these these anymore. You can't have Chris Flexen. You can't have these bachelors. Just like, like. I mean, the, they're getting to the point that they they give me more of an ulcer than Manny Acosta ever did, and that's saying something. You know, like like you just I mean, you you got Avalon looks great, Wilson. But the thing is, is like these guys are great, and then when they're not, you know, it it's just like you can't expect them to be perfect all the time. Like they, you know, like yesterday, it's just. And this is the irreparable damage that you're discussing. Is that when when the the workable cogs uh, are out of place a little bit, it just the entire machine falls apart. Um, I think that you. I mean, Rich went into so many details just then that it's hard for me to really follow up properly. Like, like I feel like the the comedian entering the room after after uh, Jerry Seinfeld killed. So. Um, I I think that uh you just can't you can't have those you can't have such a bad underbelly, you know, it's not like the two thousand fifteen bullpen was all that um, on crazy good, but like there was little thing this this is why like, you know, I was really hoping that Paul Sewald could, could do well because I feel like he's like the Sean Gilmartin type and if you have people like Paul Sewald working uh, in in uh, uh, congruence with everybody else, uh, then this is why it's such an effective machine. Uh, and and that's like it, it, it's interesting that you're saying like they're closers on you know somebody else's double A, um, because that that is kind of maybe the the Mets need like the bullpen version of JD Dave. Um, whether or not they need to get rid of Edwin Diaz, I don't know. I I just, it's, it's a tough sell, uh, but he's so young and, and you'd be like you guys said, pennies on the dollar, be training for him. Um, I definitely think that they, that a great Edwin Diaz, like you said, he looked good today, but you know, you can't just like, you can't have him be the closer going into next season. You can't just say that, you know, uh, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting for sure. Um, I think the the number one place that they need to figure their their shit out, and we're gonna to have to figure it out. We'll probably know within a week and a half now is the manager situation. Um, so you know, yippee ki yay. Don't stop there. Stick with it, Mickey Calloway, Sam. No, I just I I think that he's just a little bit lackluster. I I I know that the bullpen does not make him look good, uh, but he's just constantly stepping on his own toes. And um, I think that if you're selling, you know, a winning season, what I what what do I think is going to happen? I think that they're going to. It's going to be one of those things like, all right, well, we worked out the kinks. And you know, next season, third time's a charm for Mickey Callaway. That's probably how it's going to go. But I, I would rather it go in a different direction. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I. The question is, I'm sure they're having these conversations. People probably know what Brody thinks. Brody probably has a pretty black and white opinion about the entire thing, and and um, he probably has a black and white opinion based off of plan A, plan B, and plan C, depending on, on how it's going, you know, depending on how, how next Monday turns out. So we'll see. But I don't think he should Rich. be around. Rich, Mickey Callaway.
2: Well, um, I think he, he's he gone. I, I think um, now – and it's unfortunate because, let's face it, I mean, the, the guy's in-game managing um, – it has a lot to be desired. You know, Look at the game Wednesday against Colorado when he had Rene Rivera bat for himself with uh, the bases loaded and the Mets down a run. And you have two other catchers on the roster. You have a very deep bench and you have a lot of guys, and he lets Rivera hit for himself, which makes absolutely no sense. I don't know what the hell he was thinking there, you know, and and plus if you're saying, well, Syndergaard throws best to, to Rivera, Syndergaard was at the end of his rope. He had 95 pitches at that time. What in the living hell are you thinking about? Um, so he does a lot of bizarre stuff like that. But, but on the other hand, you have to give him one thing. In, in fairness, this team has not quit. They could have, when they lost that first game out of the All-Star break to Miami, they could have folded their tents and said, you know what, season over – I'm going to go through the motions, you know, get my personal stats and be done with it. This team came together. They continue to fight and claw. And don't give me this crap about how they only beat bad teams. They beat some really good teams along the way, too. And, and you know, you have to give them that. It, it, to the, the manager's job is multifaceted, right? One of those facets, a very important one, in game decisions. Mickey gets a C- there at best. But in terms of, you know, the the stuff you can't measure, like the uh, the chemistry and the fact that these guys play hard for him and they seem to want to win for him, they seem to have his back, gets an A-plus there. So on average, Mickey to me is a B-slash-B-minus manager, but I think all of that is academic because of something I've been saying all year, which is Brody's going to want his guy. And unless Mickey, I would say, unless he went at least one round into the playoffs, he was gone. And let's face it, they're not going to the playoffs. So Mickey's gone. And he's gone not so much because he has an overall poor performance. He's gone because he because he didn't bring the team deep into the playoffs, and it gives the general manager the fodder the general manager needs to, to get the guy he wants. So I think that's what will happen.
1: No,
0: Agreed. I, I can't add much more to that. I'm in lockstep with you, Rich. Uh, the other part, Circling back to Edwin Diaz, the other part of that trade was Robinson Cano, and I'm going to before we go
1: before we go Robinson before we go to Robinson Cano though can I can I just ask this question? Throw this out to you guys. Like, do we have any inclination as to who or what that type is that is Brody's guy? Like, like, what do we have any idea of what he's going to look for? Out of a manager.
2: Well, I'll jump in on that. I think it's going to take one of two distinct paths. Brody might, and I know, I'm not even necessarily saying a client. Brody might have a connection to somebody for some reason, somehow, some way, and that might be a guy, and we don't know who that is. Um, And it could be a guy that he's worked with in the past. It could be a guy he knows from XYZ location that he's comfortable with. He's either going to go the familiarity route, or he's going to try to buy, and I think this would be a thing he would do, try to buy credibility. Because this team knows that it needs that, right? It needs, it needs somebody to manage the press. It needs somebody experienced, you know, to, to do that stuff. So either it's going to be somebody that you're going to, it's going to pop up and we're going to be like, holy shit, you know, he knows that guy. How does he know that guy? Oh, wow, okay, now that makes sense. Or it's going to be the Joe Madden slash Joe Girardi type the veteran manager who automatically, if nothing else, brings smoothness to the post-game press conferences, brings professionalism, all those things. So I think it will go in one of those two directions.
0: Fascinating scenario.
1: I don't have an answer. You know, I just and, think and, it's and, really fascinating. And, Mike, I feel like this is this is what they tried to do with Art Howe, and it failed miserably. Um was bring somebody in with with past winning and past credibility, um, and the Mets, you know, could really use a dose of that. But they, you know, I don't, I, I, think that Art Howe was uniquely flawed in that particular instance. It was a perfect storm, um, which is why the, you know, a, uh, a, uh, uh, somebody like Joe Girardi, it would, it, it, it's just, it's not that direction. We know you know, Joe Girardi's already made it with uh um you know, a, a pretty resounding uh uh, uh fan base of, of New Yorkers. So um I know that the joke is that, that Yankee fans, you know, can can uh Jim Jim Brewer the other day said it's just like you know, they can go backpacking across Eastern Europe for for six months and then come back in October and go,
0: So we play it
1: but um you know, it, it's still they—they are—they're they're also the same ones calling up Mike Francesa uh, when they've had 95 wins, talking about how Aaron Boone needs to be fired. So, you know, there's there's a whole different there's all different types of 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 Yankee fans, and uh, Girardi's had to deal with all all of them, and and that's that's where you know he's very intriguing, and I I just wonder what Brody's thinking.
2: And uh, think- not, not to. I'm sorry. Just one last thing for me on this. I didn't mean to interrupt Mike, but let's not forget that Girardi has been as, I don't mean it explicitly, but as, about as passive aggressive as you can be with expressing that he wants to be the Mets manager, you know, when, when you've watched him on the national broadcast, Oh, you know, this team's got a great core and anybody would want to lead this team. And I mean, come on, Joe, what are you saying here? I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's, he's very (laughs) interested. Um, and people say that you know that he probably wants the Cubs job because he's a Chicago guy. But at the same time, who knows what's going to happen with Madden? I know people are saying Madden you know might not come back next year, and certainly the Cubs have absolutely. You know, whereas the Mets have hung in there valiantly, the Cubs are are sinking like the Titanic at this point, and and maybe maybe they think it is time to part with Madden. I think the biggest thing against Girardi coming here would be if Madden doesn't go back and, and the Cubs go aggressively after him. But assuming Madden does go back there, it, it's pretty obvious Girardi wants this job. And Brody likes shiny new toys. He likes shiny toys that get attention, and Girardi will get a lot of attention.
0: See, I, I happen to think Girardi's holding out for his dream job in Chicago. Uh, otherwise, he would have taken the job earlier, I think. Uh, I don't think Madden's going to be asked back. Uh, and I don't foresee Madden. Uh, in the New York Mets dugout, for that matter. Uh, I don't foresee the Mets paying a whole lot for a manager. Uh, and that's, some, you know, th- that's, that's somewhere I just don't want to go because Jeff and Fred are still involved in the interview process, and until that changes, well, then, you know, what really changes? Uh, we know Mickey Calloway has a friend in Fred, and he supports Fred supports him. Uh, and that's just too many hands in the cookie jar. If Brody Van Wagenen is in charge, let him make the decision moving forward without their input. Uh, but, again, that's somewhere I just don't want to go. Any last words on this before we get back to Cano? Going once, going twice. All right, boys. Keeping prospects Jared Kalanick and Justin Dunn, and if you want to throw Gershon Batista in there, go right ahead. You know, that would have fit the narrative of building from within. An argument can be made that they should have stayed the course. Brody's narrative, of course, was completely different. Where concerns Cano and Diaz, gentlemen, no debate can be had without including the names Jay Bruce and Anthony Sforza. For they would have remained Mets, be it on a transient basis or not. That being said, I turn it over to you guys, Sam. Looking back on the season, hindsight's 2020. How do you feel about the Robinson Cano trade and the Edwin Diaz trade for said players and prospects? I think when it's all said and done, you
1: know specifically with Cano, we're going to see that he was better than we, like, actually think he was, if that makes any sense. I think he was um, befallen by a lot of, you know, uh, of nips and, and bruises here and there. Uh, it 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 just – he never seemed to be able, just like today, every time that he's getting into a groove, he seems to get injured. And, and, you know, it could be because he's 36 years old, he's not holding – Together as well, uh, but I think with Edwin Diaz, it, it was it's a disaster. It's as bad as a first season could be uh, with Edwin Diaz. Do I think that they should have stayed the course? I think that they could have very well have been a winning team uh, this year by holding on to those guys that we were talking about, Jay Bruce and Anthony Scorzak. Not giving up those prospects who are moving through the Seattle system pretty soundly quickly. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I think that we're still gonna. It's going to be a little while till we feel the full ramifications of what this trade means for the
2: New York Mets. Rich, well, you know if you look at Cano, you know Sam was saying he did better than we thought, and, and I think Sam's right. Because going into today, into today, Cano, you know, thirteen home runs, thirty seven RBIs, two sixty, you know, two fifty nine. So that's not great, but it's not a disaster. He played one hundred and one games, so obviously his home run numbers are suppressed, his RBIs are suppressed by being injured. But then again, you know, he's injured, but older players tend to do that. So is that really a surprise? Question you have to ask yourself. So to answer your question, Mike, um, this was a deal that when it was made. Pretty much, I would say, 90% of the fan reaction, the reporter's reaction, was this is bad. This is really bad. They gave up quality prospects. They got an aging former PED user. Okay, they got a good closer. Fine. But you gave up a lot. And and it kind of played out that way. So when history looks at this trade – It's going to be through a very negative lens. You know, Cano, again, not a disaster, really, given the number of games he plays. If you project those numbers over about 150 games, you end up with about 20 home runs, 70 RBIs, 260 average. Not not, not terrible, not awful, uh, not great. But then, you know, Diaz, how how did, in Brody's defense, how did he know Diaz would absolutely shit the bed in New York? I, I don't know. I don't know how he could have known that. But when you think about the quality they gave up, and Swarzak and Bruce could have been dealt somewhere else, so it's not like they would have been carrying those guys around. But unfortunately for Brody, and unfortunately for the Mets, no matter how you slice it, you can't put too much lipstick on this pig. You know, It's a bad deal, and it looks really, really bad right now. The only way that this could be salvaged is, like I said earlier, they keep Diaz, they figure something out with him, and he becomes an elite closer for the New York Mets. Cano will be what he is. And by the way, one thing about Cano, too, on the positive side of the ledger is clearly he's had an impact on Rosario. They're, they're together all the time. Rosario has had an absolutely unquestionable breakout season, and Cano is certainly a part of that. So they've got little bits and pieces out of this deal, but in the end, I mean, it's, history will not look favorably upon it.
0: All right, so let's give Brody a quick grade here. Uh, you know, this, this list of names is almost split in half. Brody's acquisitions, Wilson Ramos, J.D. Davis, Jed Larry, Marcus Stroman, Keon Broxton, Robinson Cano, Diaz, Joe Panic, free agent signings, Justin Wilson, Luis Avalon, and Jeremy. Uh, excuse me, Jerry's Familia. Non-Brody acquisitions. Jacob deGrom, Syndergaard, Mats Wheeler, Lugo, McNeil, Alonzo, Conforto, Rosario, Nemo, Frazier, Lagares, Dom Smith, and excuse me for excluding anybody else. But that's a list that's pretty much split right down the middle. So a quick grade, Sam.
1: Uh, I got to give him a B-. Uh, first year, freshman, freshman at the helm. Uh, not half bad using what his uh, predecessor gave him uh pretty soundly um, and kind of uh, some of the the you know he he wanted to make some bold moves and they didn't all work out but but that's I think you you have to give him benefit of the doubt right there um, considering that they he he's been a face of this franchise in many ways. And considering how vocal he has been, how out, out, out front and center he has been, um, and, and the fact that they're right in the thick of it, you got to give him credit where credit's due for kind of helping with the morale and helping with the the valor of this team. Um, freshman year, you know, better better than Mickey Cowles. I think he's better than Mickey Calloway has shown, and hopefully he has a better sophomore season than Mickey Calloway has. And I know, you know, Rich makes a good point that I, I should let up on, on Mickey a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think that um, going back to Brody, since I tangented real quick, I would give him a B minus. I think, I think that that is, and, and, and it doesn't matter what happens. Uh, going forward, I think that we are all in agreement that if the Mets get into the playoffs, it's a miracle. If they get past the first round, it's a miracle. If they get past the second round, it's a miracle. And if they win the World Series, it's a goddamn amazing miracle.
0: Uh, so
1: <laughs> I think I think one way or the other, regardless of what happens this last week and where we are talking with our uh, uh, season report podcast, Uh, it's still going to be – I'll still give them a B-minus, even if they are world champions.
0: You're listening to a Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. Uh, Rich, I'll cycle back to the opening of the show, where I said that this would be their first 500 season or better since, what, 2016. That being said, this team is pretty much split down the middle, 50% Sandy Alderson, 50% Brody. We are over 500, and, and, and perhaps headed towards a, a a above par finish. So, how do you grade Brody dirty Van Lagen's freshman season?
2: Well, I'm not far off from where Sam is. I'm going to say C C plus, maybe C plus, and and the reason for that is the, the best thing he did was J D Davis. Uh, now I know they gave up prospects for him, and and who knows if those prospects will will pan out. But J. D. Davis seems to be a find. You know, here's a guy who can play respectably at a few positions. I know he's not a great defender, but eh, he's not, he's better than Wilmer Flores. So and he's got good power at all fields. He's a, a an enthusiastic guy and he really broke out with the Mets. So so J D Davis to me was by far Brody's best acquisition. Um, Familia, you have to give Brody a pass on that one Who the hell could have seen that coming? I mean, Familia's been a disaster So you, you have to, if you go by what you know when you put ink to, you know, pen to paper Eh, I can't really fault Brody for Familia But the thing is, and then Stroman I think could end up being a good deal If they could retain Stroman um, He seems to certainly be finding his way in the National League After a couple of rough starts the key will be, you know, you don't want to give up those prospects for a season and a half. You have to find a way to retain him. Stroman, good deal. But when you think about some of the other stuff, um, you know, they gave a prospect for Keon Broxton. Keon Broxton didn't last a month. He lasted a month. Now, granted, he wasn't doing well, but you still give up prospects, and, and then you DFA'd this guy within a month. So that's bad. The Cano-Diaz deal, as we discussed – It's like getting a zero on a paper in school. You know, it's hard to come back from that and still have a good grade. Um, That's an enormous negative. So, you know, jettisoning jettisoning Bruce and Swarzak and their money, okay. The problem is he did it in a deal where he got Cano and Diaz. So, you know, J.D. Davis, positive. Marcus Stroman, positive. Um, You know, but some of these other things did along the way like picking up Wilmer Font, you know, like deals like that, just they did not work out. So a mixed bag, to be generous, probably tilted a little more toward the negative. But the fact that the team, you know, finished over 500 and uh, or will finish over 500, I should say, um, I'll give them a C+. C plus. But a final thing to say is, and I, I've never been a Sandy Alderson fan, uh, but I will say this. A lot of the reason the Mets fit, will finish over 500 starting pitching, they they stayed healthy this year. They were j- largely effective. That's all Alderson, other than Stroman, you know, came in, in essentially through his first game in August. So you have to you have to give a, a hat tip to Sandy Alderson for that. So a lot of the reason the Mets did well uh, would be Alderson. You know, Alonzo's in the system because of Alderson. The starting rotation is Alderson. Uh, McNeil is Alderson. So – You
0: know, you have to be fair there. All right. So, moving forward, we'll expand the conversation somewhat. What do we do about third base, center field, and how do you feel about catcher? Uh, You know me, I'm a defensive over offensive kind of guy, uh, i.e., Wilson Ramos. So, third base, center field, catcher, uh, anything you uh, care to revisit, like trading Noah Syndergaard or free agent Zach Wheeler, Sam.
1: Uh, third base is going to be interesting. I think J.D. Davis and McNeil have claimed to it. Um, you know, I I I don't know exactly who's on the free agent market, but I guess you have to figure out where you can kind of keep this versatility going. If you see a place offensively that you can you can upgrade, I I, I think that you know it keeps going back to where the Mets really need to upgrade here as the bullpen. But who's to say that a free agent arm is going to be the the uh the direction to go? Um I, I but I, I just think anywhere that they think, including third base that they think that they can upgrade, uh but I I don't think that it's gonna be a bad thing to have McNeil and J D kind of just uh going back and forth between the uh 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 third base position. Um, you know, Outfield, they could certainly use uh, some upgrades. I, I think that they – it's funny because they have a plethora, but everybody's kind of just, you know, hit or miss here and there. I, I, I just – I want some – I want a little bit more consistency out of Canel. I, I mean uh, Conforto, excuse me. And Canel, of course. But Conforto, I, I just – I think that, you know, the, the people want us to stop criticizing him, and, and, and sure, you know, he obviously is, is an unbelievable talent, close to a, a – he's a 30-home-run, 100-RBI guy. RBI guy. Uh, but these streaks he gets into are, are Lucas Duda-esque, if you will, and that's not something that we're looking for out of Michael Conforto so, because otherwise we just have Lucas Duda around all the time. <laughs> so, let's, I, you know, I just I think Conforto really needs to, to tighten it up uh, going forward.
0: Rich, we have an open forum here. Conforto's on the table. Third base. Is 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 Brandon Nimmo your starting center fielder heading into next season?
2: Well, all right, let's talk about that. So let's start with catcher, Mike. You know, Wilson Ramos, he's another guy. As far as I'm concerned, the numbers are better than what you would think. You know, going in today into today, 290 batting average, 353. On-base percentage, 14 home runs, 72 RBIs. That's pretty good. That's pretty good offensive production from your catcher. The problem is he looks lazy defensively. He doesn't throw anybody out. And, you know, he's not a good defensive catcher. So the offense is, you know, B, B B-plus for the position. The defense is C-minus D. So tough question to answer. If there's a catcher out there who could give you a little more defense, I'd try to get rid of Ramos. I'd try to find a taker for him in the American League where he can catch in DH. And, and so I'd, I'd try to go outside the organization there. Tom, Tomas Nito is not the answer. i try to go out, outside the organization there. Third base I'd fill internally. Bye, Todd. You know, been nice knowing you. Um, J.D. Davis, l- let's put him at a position where he could possibly succeed and not force him into the outfield, let him be your third baseman. Hit him a shit ton of ground balls in Port St. Lucie. Make him as, as good defensively as he can be. And let's enjoy this. He probably will give you 30 home runs next year. He 20 this year in a, basically a glorified part-time role. So, so let's enjoy this guy. Let's fill it internally and, and have him at third base. But the most important thing, you know where I'm going with this, get a damn center fielder get a center fielder who could run, who could play the position defensively, and if the stars align, could be your leadoff hitter. That, to me, is job number one. Job number one, get me that center fielder who, like I said, good defensively, can run, let that person be your leadoff hitter. I'm sick of the musical leadoff hitters. It was McNeil for a while, then it was Rosario, and then it was Nimmo. Let's get a solid guy you could put in there every day. To answer your question about Nimmo, uh, let's see what else is out there. I'm fine with Nimmo being one of my starting three outfielders. I'm also fine with Nimmo being my fourth outfielder. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're going to get a lot of ABs. He could play all three positions. What the hell's wrong with that? So um, if you could do better than Nimmo, fine. You'll have a different third outfielder, but if not – um, then have Nimmo be your, your third outfielder. I'd, I'd rather see, well, Conforto's done well in right, so you can get that center fielder from outside the organization Conforto and right, Nimmo and left, unless you find a better left fielder, Nimmo becomes your fourth. That's how I would address it.
0: Let's uh, rain some praise down upon Ahmed Rosario. Sam, go for it. I
1: mean, what what's more to be said? I mean, you know, I think where we really need to start is. Bravo on how many walks he's collected. I don't even. Let me see if I can pull the numbers up. I have
2: it, Sam. Were, Thirty-one walks. Thirty-one.
1: Thirty-one walks. How many did he have last year?
2: That I don't know. It wasn't many.
1: Right, but it, it was a big deal when he got to, you know, Venti in walks. Um, and so you got to give him props. He's taken pitches. And that's a big reason why his batting average is up. It's not just his on-base percentage that he's getting up with that. Because he's seeing the ball better, he's taking better pitches, and he's waiting for the pitches that he can drive. And, and he's been spectacular. His power's coming around. Um, I mean, so you're, you're talking J.D. Davis. Okay, let's let's say let's, let's, J.D. Davis slash McNeil, third base. Ahmed Rosario shortstop. Robinson Cano slash McNeil, second base, Pete Alonzo, first base. Um, that's a pretty amazing infield at this point. This is in, in, in a pretty awesome offensive infield coming together possibly for next year. So Cano's got to, you know, stay on the field, get it together. Uh, McNeil, I'd like him to come back around to finding that batting average again, try to find some balance between these, these two he's batting like two forty two with this power. Um but yeah anyway going to go back to Ahmed. Ahmed's been fantastic and at some point in this podcast we gotta go over to to uh uh praising Pete.
0: You didn't think I was gonna leave that out, did you? On the maturation of Ahmed Rosario as told to by Rich Spirago, what's up?
2: Well, you know I we shouldn't be surprised. This kid was a highly touted prospect. Um, in 2017, he came up at the ripe old age of 21, and he struggled. You know, he did a lot of things wrong. He had no plate discipline. Remember the game against the Marlins where he, you know, did that little tap thing in the glove and, and lost the out at first base? At times, it looked like he played with his head up his rear end. So all those things happened to a very, very young man. Last year, the second half of the season, he showed progress. This year... Two eighty seven batting average. Now, his three twenty three on base percentage is not as high as you'd like. I'd like to get that to three fifty. Okay. Um, like Sam said, he's showing progress with plate discipline and he is walking a little bit more. He needs to continue that progress. He needs to walk even more. Like I said, and get that OBP up to three fifty. But he settled down defensively. Notice how there there are no more cries for Ahmed Rosario to be an outfielder. I haven't heard that nonsense in two months. Because he's, he's settling into the position. He's 23 damn years old. He's only going to get better. And when you look at this kid's athletic ability, it justifies giving him the time to grow into it. You know, it, when you look at a guy, I hate to bring up a name from the past, but what I'm going to, but look at a guy like Tejada. You say, okay, when this guy maxes out, what is his ceiling? And, you, and you'll project it somewhere. You look at Rosario's ceiling, it's much, much higher because of what he can do. He has speed. He has power. Speed helps on both sides of the ball. You, you give this guy some slack because of what you see. You see what he can be, and you're seeing it now. And he has, he's going to continue to grow. This two eighty seven batting average, don't be surprised if it's two ninety five next year. These 14 home runs, don't be surprised if they're 20. 17 stolen bases become 25. Um, and this is a kid who's growing into his potential. Um, It's wonderful to see his progress. So, yeah, props to Ahmed Rosario.
0: Okay, gentlemen. In 1920, Babe Ruth opens the doors to the 50-home run club. 100 years later, Pete Alonso becomes the 30th member. 50 home runs. Uh, Only two rookies have ever accomplished that feat. Pete Alonso's one, Aaron Judge is the other. So Sam, uh, let's rain praise down upon Pete Alonzo. You first.
1: I mean, the first thing I'll I'll say, and I know that we also have been talking about the the ball being juiced or possibly uh, harder to throw, um, maybe a little bit more aerodynamic because of the seams. But you know, he he's hitting 450 foot bombs consistently. So maybe there was a little aid, aided by the ball. But, you know, this this type of home run prowess that the ball, that they, they may have been hoping for out of the ball, was made for Pete Alonso. Was absolutely made for Pete Alonso. And he goes and gets it. You know, like, like there's so many balls that, like, at best, at best they'd be opposite field singles that other people would go and get it out of the strike zone when, when it's a a, a little bit of a breaking pitch that dives just underneath the strike zone. And you know, it's good hitting. You kind of, you know, you get it off the edge of the bat and you, you, you slap it over the second baseman if you're a right-handed hitter and it goes to the opposite field for a single. That's cute. It's really cute. His, his, when Pete Alonso gets a hold of this stuff, it goes 450 feet. Um, And I'll pass it over to you after this, Rich. The only way I can finish it, 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 you know, Pete Alonso could get better. He could get worse. But this season, the Mets literally have never had an offensive season like the one Pete Alonso has just had and will and, and is currently having for another week.
2: Well... You know, I've never been happier to be wrong than I was about Pete Alonso. What I saw, what I was worried about with Pete Alonso, I thought we were going to have another Butch Husky on our hands. You know, a guy who killed it in the minor leagues, but an undisciplined hitter who would strike out all the time. But what Pete has shown, not only has he hit 50 home runs, not only has he has the second highest exit velocity in baseball on his home runs, uh, not only has he shown that, he's also hit a lot of home runs to right center field, so he can go the other way. Um, he is much, much better defensively than I ever thought we would see out of him. You know, there was all this talk that he couldn't play the position and, and could certainly couldn't play on the big league level. Well, you know what? On a stratomatic level, he, I'd give him probably somewhere between a two and a three. He's certainly not a four. So he's not a defensive liability at all. He's great for the team. He's become a team leader. How much more can you say about this guy? You know, power to all fields, prodigious power at that, Um, decent defensively exceeding expectations, team leader, all of those things. Are there some things he could do better? Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes when he swings at, you know, pitches in the dirt and and pitches a foot off, you know, three feet off the plate, you get a little frustrated with him. Sure you do. But when you think about what you have here – and, Sam, you're right. You know, the sky's the limit for this guy, but also there's a floor, too. You know, if the league figures him out and can and just, you know, continue to pitch him in, in his weak spots, can Pete adjust? Will he? Sure, I like to think he will. But there's a long way to go here, you know, and Pete is Pete not a surprise to anybody anymore, so teams will adjust to him. Um, he can hit 60 home runs, and he can become a 280 hitter instead of a 260 hitter, or... If the league really adjusts to him and he has a tough time adjusting back, we could see a regression next year. How do you know? How do you really know? But what it has been, it's been a ton of fun watching this kid, right?
1: Without a doubt. 62 I mean, home runs. I'm calling it. There
2: you
0: go. <laughs>
1: 2020, 2020,
0: 62. Uh, I'm crossing my fingers. Look, these are let, – let's go through the list. He broke David Kingman's record for most home runs before the All-Star break as a match. Uh, he goes on to win the Home Run Derby. He breaks the Mets' rookie home run mark set by Strawberry. He breaks the all-time single-season Mets' home run, home run record shared by Beltran and, and Hunley. He breaks the National League rookie record set by who? Bellinger. Uh, and he's the second rookie ever with 50 home runs. So, you know, two more home runs to tie in seven games? Doable. Very doable. Uh, this is special. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it immensely. You never see it coming. You never see you, And like I always say, guys, you can't be disappointed with what you don't expect. That's why this has just been so much fun uh, to watch. You know, the Mets legacy is, is built on pitching, and he's our first 50-home run hitter. That's clout, and that puts the Mets into certain conversation. And that's a source of pride. And, and, uh, it, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Uh, Pete Alonzo, bravo.
1: Two more, Sam. You calling it? Oh, I'm calling it, man. I'm calling it. I'm Rich? calling three more. Break that record.
0: <laughs> Rich, you think you can actually do it?
2: I think so. No, I think he'll slug a couple this week. I really do. I, 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 I'm I, pegging him at 53. Wow.
0: Again, I'm crossing my fingers. It'll be fun to watch. Uh, the funny thing about the this last stretch of games, uh, it's our final seven home games of the season, final games of the season. Milwaukee only has six games left. Chicago has six games left. And here we are with seven games left against the Marlins and the Braves. If he's going to do it. He's got to power up against Miami, you would think, right? Or are the Braves in, you know, a a position where they have nothing to play for and and they might throw, you know, some Frisbee trailer up there? What do you think about that, Rich?
2: Um, Well, I I think the Braves will do what what I would do if I were Brian Snicker, which is if it's your start, you know, keep them in rotation, but five innings. You're out. I don't care what you're doing, buddy. You're out after five innings. We need you for the playoffs. So I think the Braves will – you know, I think they'll play Freddie Freeman, I think they'll play Nick Marcakis and they'll play uh, Acuna and Albies, but I they may play them for five innings, you know, keep them sharp but not risk getting them hurt, which is the prudent thing. I think the Braves will do that. Uh Miami I think is gonna come to play. I think Miami's gonna would love nothing more than to knock the Mets off. Um so the Mets, you know, this this you know idea of going seven and zero they pretty much have to I don't, I'm not sure if they can but um, but that's what they're going to have to do you know and, and I'm not sure if we're going to get into the playoff scenarios but you know the one thing to think about too Washington you know Washington has slipped they have five games with the Phillies starting t- uh, Tuesday I believe it's or either tomorrow or Tuesday five game series. The Phillies are on the periphery of contention. They're, they need every win like the Mets do. If the Phillies really stick it to Washington, the Mets' path to the, to the uh, which I think is, you know, 5% chance anyway, the Mets' path might be Washington falling on its face, the Cubs continuing to, f- to fade, then, the, then maybe the Mets and Brewers are the two wild card teams. You know, this idea, I don't think Milwaukee is going to slip. I mean, look at their schedule. They're playing the Reds in Colorado, for goodness sakes. Um, but if you look at Washington, they've got a tough road road ahead. And then look at the Cubs. The Cubs lost – somebody got hurt today. Was it uh, uh, Chris Bryant got hurt today. Um, And they're tanking anyway. So if the Mets have a 5% chance, that 5% chance may be tied to Washington and Chicago much more than Milwaukee.
0: Last word on that, Sam. Milwaukee, like Rich said, have the Reds and the Rockies. Chicago has the Pirates and the Cardinals. We got the Marlins for four. Four very important games in the Braves for three.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've always said, you know, Washington is the best team that's not that good. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> like, they're just, I'm I'm never impressed. I, I, I don't think they're ever going to get that far. Uh, and so, you know, even if they win the wild card game, they still got to win a division series to impress me. So uh, there's – I mean, you know, we're – I'll also say this too. The Mets season's been over at least like a dozen times this year. And every time we're we're left saying, now hold on a minute. (laughs) So the one problem is that there's now an actual week left of baseball to the point where eventually – will actually say it's over. But until then, Yogi still rings true. It ain't over till it's over.
0: Well said. And another gentleman once said, or called him, amazing. Uh, Being that this is episode 37, you know, aside from our specials and this and that, this is episode number 37, and there's only been one person to ever wear number 37 in its history. And Sam, we know who that is. That's a a Mr. Casey Stangler. Uh, well, considering language. that I, I
1: flubbed I flubbed over my words on Twitter, uh, okay. I noticed uh, with number thirty six. I I think what better way to start than for me to flub over more words when it comes <laughs> to talking about Casey Stengel.
0: Well, as I said, there's <laughs> only one person to have ever worn the number thirty seven, so this conversation is solely focused on Mr. Casey Stengel. Sam, take it away. I mean, after all, the man wore four New York City uniforms.
1: Well, what I love about Casey Stengel is the fact of what you just mentioned, the fact that he wore a Dodgers uniform, he wore a Giants uniform, he wore a Yankees uniform, and he wore a Mets uniform. And the thing about it is that, obviously, he had the success that that really put him over the top for the Hall of Fame was with the Yankees, uh, very similar to Joe Torre, um, but... I think that I, 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 maybe I'm wrong about this, I, I think Casey's legacy is still much more National League. And and I think maybe Yankee fans couldn't understand that. They live in the bubble. Um, I think Marty Appel kind of understood that a little bit because uh, he wrote a book about Casey Stengel. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think more than anything else, he's a National League guy and and that's you know when i think about casey stengel i think colorful he's 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 not the button up yankee's that he won so many championships for i i just i i think of the close but no cigar type casey and and that uh as much success as he was able to have with the yankees the casey stengel um I don't know whether he'd want me to think about him this way. You know, it was kind of like the, the, the old professor. And the reason why they, they, you know, one of the reasons why they would call him that is, you know, he, he would teach. He he, he had serious knowledge to, to pass along, even if he did it in a very strange, funny Casey Spengel like way, uh, with his Spengel ease, uh, I, I, I'm just, I just, I'm really fascinated by his life, and I really should dive even more uh, deeply into learning about the guy. Rich, uh, you know, I, I
0: remember, I think you do as well, we remember when he passed away in 1975. Uh, special man, you know, over in, in this organization, Rich,
2: well, you know, it's obvious why at 72 the Mets made him a manager, right? Because in 1962 he he had some, he was a name, he could be entertaining, uh, he brought some professional credibility on the entertainment side, you know, but people that the, the press knew and all of that. So, you know, obviously, he was past his prime, but but he came for those reasons, and. He made his legacy elsewhere, as you guys have pointed out, and I'm looking at his career statistics here. Not bad. Career 284 hitter. Nothing to sneeze at there. Uh, 60 career home runs, 131 stolen bases. You know, you look at where he spent his time, you know, Brooklyn, Pittsburgh, Giants, and Boston. uh, Basically, all in the National League. All of his playing career was in the National League. So, definitely a National League guy, although... Many people associate him as a Yankee, but, you know, his entire playing career is in the National League. Um, and, again, did so many great things, very funny guy. Mets brought him in for obvious reasons, as I said before. So, um, you know, I'll always think of Casey Stingle as, you know, the funny guy, you know, the funny older man who was needed to keep it light around the bumbling Mets. Um, but when you look back and you, and you look at his, his playing numbers, you see – a guy who you know hung around baseball for as long as he did for a reason. The guy was a damn good player. And then when he became a manager, he was quite successful. So for all the comedy and all the malaprops and all the you know the placards over here and then they're over there in left field in the third inning and all that stuff, for all of that, this guy was a real deal. This guy was a good, solid baseball player and a successful manager. So um, yeah, and his number is rightfully retired.
0: I went to Cooperstown two summers ago, and uh, I there's an art there's a statue of him in in the art section. Uh, it's one of my most favorite artifacts in that. Yeah, building. mine too. It really mine is. Uh, how? When was the last time you went there? So you know exactly which one I'm talking about
1: like oh, he two years ago or, so, or something. Yeah. I mean and, and, and him in a in a meds uniform. Which I says yes, exactly. which I think says uh, it says a lot. You know? It's not it's not like and, and you know, not to take away from his Yankee time, but the Hall of Fame I'm sure could have found some pretty astounding looking portraits or or well, statues that's... or something of Casey Stengel as a Yankee.
0: Yeah that statue is is definitely amongst my top three uh, artifacts in that old building. It really is. I, I I love that statue so much. I have a statue that the Mets Hall of Fame has uh, as well. I, I'm pretty fond of that statue as well. Uh, gentlemen, let's you know, and, move on and to our front. That, Go for it.
1: No, I was just about to say that, like, as having been as a Yankee, you know, been on the Yankee side, like, he's obviously very much, uh, a re, you know you know renowned with the yankee uh, uh, family um but i, I i'm i'm just kind of curious and and you know just what you brought up with this hall of fame statue, too um it, it seems like the rest of the league kind of does see him more like like once he was a met he was kind of back like he kind of finished off his baseball career with exactly the perfect team that resembled that, that 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 was meant for him to push up. You know, he was there to 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 kind of you know take the heat in some fashion for how awful the 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 play was uh, behind him. Uh, you know, so people weren't giving them given given the players uh, so much crap. Uh, they, they went to Casey and Casey would be, ah, oh, you, know, uh, you know, who knows exactly what they were thinking when they put their gloves down on the field. Uh, and everybody would laugh and, and, and the, play, the the press would have fun with him and the fans would have fun with him. You know, it seems like the rest of the league and baseball in general seemed that were were, we're happy that Casey was kind of back in his element being in the Mets uniform and that kind of became his overall baseball legacy. I'm, I'm kind of curious
0: what you guys think about that. I think hiring hiring Casey Stengel was a, a wise move, uh, an exceptional move because expansion teams, you know, weren't <laughs> as well equipped as they are today. Back then, uh, I, I don't believe there was an expansion draft, and the Mets still had to, you know, not only build but still formulate a farm system. So he was definitely a selling point. Him along with some of the other veterans that they brought in, you know, Gil Hodges, Richie Ashburn, Yogi Berra, and a couple of others. You know, so they were definitely selling points and, and you know, to get people in, in, into the park, the good old days. But at the same time, uh, you know, they were just buying time. Uh, again, you know, the, the the business operation really started taking off, you know, let's say by 66 and 67 because we started seeing some of these youngsters come through the system who would eventually go on to win the 69 championship. Uh, Rich?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, he was buying time, giving them something, you know, whether it was entertainment or whatever it was, he was buying time while the organization put itself together. You know, and the organization came together a lot more quickly than anybody thought, of course. You know, just seven years later, they were world champions. But, um but Casey Stingle was brought in for a reason. He did that job. Where, I mean, come on. Here it is, 2019. You know, 57 years later, we're we're still seeing videos of him. You know, when they come back from commercial, sometimes you see the one with the placard that I was saying before. You know, you see the one where he's conducting the orchestra. You see the one where he talks about. You know, before they say Mama and Dada, they're saying Metsy, Metsy. You know, this stuff lives on 57 years later. So clearly he had an impact on this organization and sometimes the impact isn't so much that they won under you. The impact is you bought time for them to enable them to win and that's exactly what he did. He's the he's the first iconic person in a Mets uniform. I mean yeah.
1: obviously Don Zimmer Don Zimmer was in a uniform, Gil Hodges was in a the uniform. There there were some there were some pretty remarkable players to wear that uniform in nineteen sixty two and Richie Ashburn was one of them. He'd end up being a Hall of Famer. But but Casey Stengel really took you know ownership and marriage with that uniform at the beginning there and and it, you know wearing it before the players were even on the field uh, to the point where he was pushing up, gotta come see the Metsies, gotta come see the Metsies and um and 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 he but I'll throw this out to you guys, can you imagine a manager? in this day and age, in, in, in the Twitterverse, falling asleep in the dugout.
2: Didn't Tory <laughs> like do <nobody> that? Ca- <laughs> no, 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 no. Tory might have done
1: that, too. Tory might have done that at some point, too. But Casey definitely did it. But, like, nobody cared at the time because he was just buying time.
0: Yeah, and, and you know what? Nobody would have made much of it anyway. The press would, certainly would have, wouldn't have made mention of it, and there was no such thing as Twitter for people to overreact as well.
1: But just imagine though, imagine today in this day and age today, like like <laughs> if Joe Madden was caught was caught dozing off in the sixth inning. I
0: I will add that you know Casey Stengel I think in, in my opinion he made the Met uniform instantly iconic. I think the Met logo is, is one of the greatest logos in sports. I, I don't think I say that because I'm a Mets fan. I think I say that in all sincerity. But Casey Stengel I think gave that. Original Met uniform, uh, and, you know, again, in, instant impact, in, instant, you know, uh, cachet.
1: Uh, and let's also I, let's also a lot really give credit game. to Sports Illustrated because you know, in, in this thing, in this day and age, everything's so specialized. But Sports Illustrated was you know the premier uh, uh, periodical for sports at the time and i believe it was march or it was something very early on that had him on that with that you know that famous face of his you know pressed together in a mets uniform
0: rich i
2: i can't add much you know you guys you guys are nailing it um i agree with you mike we've never really talked about that but the mets the mets logo is iconic how wonderful you know, they, it's Mets, and you have the New York City skyline in the background. It, it says it all. Um, you know, and people, younger kids have asked me so many times, and maybe you've gotten the same question, why are the Mets called the Mets? And obviously we don't want to get into a long story about that here, but um, as I recall from hearing the stories, it was down to three potential names. It was the Mets, the Jets, or the Bees. And I think the New York Daily News ran the, um, a poll, and then the, they let the fans name the team. And the fans went with the Mets, and Mrs. Payson said that if she was going to name the team, that's what she would have selected as well, so it all worked out. And, um, and I think that was the beginning of it, right? That was the beginning of the Mets kind of being the people's team. They were named by the people. And the logo, like you said, it's got the New York City skyline. New York City, it represents all of us and all of that. So, yeah, it, it is very iconic. And Casey Stingle nice. just took it to the next level and made it even more iconic.
0: And, you know, there's that old video footage of him, you know, Mama, Daddy, Messi, Messi. And Love that it. always brings
2: a yeah, smile to
0: my face. So uh, before we move to our final word, I will only ask if there's anything on your mind that we didn't touch, Sam.
1: Um, I, I feel like there is, but but I, I'm, I'm blanking on it. I feel like there was a death in the Mets family recently uh, to touch upon that we might not have last time or something like that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, Uh, You know, I'd be interested to hear, like, the last time, Rich, we we talked about how Wally's Major League Baseball managerial career uh, has ended before it ever began, like it's over officially now Uh, because of that, just that whole incident. Um, That was something we touched upon last time that you weren't here, Rich.
2: Yeah, that's sad, but, you know, Wally, when when guys do that, they bring it on themselves. So you look at that, you look at uh, Germán with the Yankees, you look at Felipe Vasquez with the Pirates. You know, they they do this stupid shit, and you bring it on yourself, and uh, it's a shame. It's a shame because Wally has so much to offer the game, Um, and I know we've talked about him ad nauseum, but the thought of him coming out of the dugout and showing the fire and all of that would be great for any team. And he he shot himself in the foot, uh, and it just it's it's sad when you see that happen.
0: Uh, he's still employed by the Long Island Ducks. They're just waiting out the results of investigations, I guess. Uh, and the Ducks are headed to the playoffs. And uh, Wally Backman is still uh, effectively their manager. So you know the process continues. Uh, I won't add much more to that, other than you know if in fact everything turns out being true, well you know throw the book at him. Uh, so with that said, let's move to our final word. Rich?
2: Well, my final word is fun. You know, it, it was two months of fun. And, again, um, I enjoyed it. Um, I, it makes me look forward to next season even more, well, the off season first, of course, to see if they address these needs, and next season even more. So they gave us two months of fun, which – you know, someone might listen to this and say, "Oh, that's a Met fan." You know, that only two months of fun. We're not entitled to nice things. But think about context. You know, th- this team was throwing chairs in press conferences. This team was threatening reporters. It was 11 games under 500 after the first game back from the All Star break, and still, they gave us two months of fun. They gave us a great ride. They never quit. I had fun with it.
0: Sam.
1: Cool um commendable, uh change of pace. I'll I'll go multifaceted here. Um I think that it it seems as if most most likely most likely, not to jinx anything, but most likely, they'll collect one more win over the next few games and they will have a winning season regardless of where they finish after this. Most likely. Knock on wood. So, um, usually when they fall into disrepair, they, it, it lasts four, five, six seasons or more. Uh, and so the fact that they may have figured out how to not let that happen anymore, that's progress. But uh, let's go from here.
0: My word is fondness. At some point, we're going to look back on the season with great fondness for numerous reasons, for uh, DeGrom's season, for McNeil's season, for Alonzo's season, Uh, you know, even for being a bipolar club, you know, a a rollercoaster season. Uh, You know, if if I hold the 1976 season in such high esteem at the time it was their second best ever win total, you know, and, and to just totally dismiss this season as a uh, older, jaded fan would be wrong. You know, sometimes you have to take a step back and just compartmentalize. Uh, so, you know, as, as as Rich said, and Sam, as you alluded to, you know, it it has been fun. You know, ups and downs, this and that. So, uh, a success. Can
1: okay, I just mention? Can I just mention that uh, DeGrom, because of some injuries from some of these other players, uh, has a very good shot at winning the second straight Cy Young?
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, That was my point. I just didn't express it, you know. But uh, if he does, in fact, win a second straight Cy Young, you know, again, we're going to look back on this season very fondly, even if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, So I, I think, you know, that... Is a is is a win. It's a win. Uh, Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, We'll move forward and see if we can improve. So uh, you know, I'm copacetic with things. Uh, Let's see what the next week holds. Uh, We will speak. I think, I believe, in a week from now, next Sunday. Uh, By then, the Mets will have concluded their season, Uh, and, and you know, we'll see where we are next Sunday night. So, on behalf of Rich and Sam. Here at a Metsian podcast. Good night, everyone. Thank you for taking time out to listen. Uh, and you know, again, thank you uh, for holding on. We've been off the air for two weeks. We hope to uh, get back to our regularness in the future. So, good night, gentlemen, and uh, good luck to to the to the New York Mets over this next week. Sam, take us out, take us home the only way you know how.
1: Let's go, Mets. Let's
2: go, Mets. Let's go. Let's Mets. go, Mets.
1: All right, guys.
0: Let's do we'll it. Have a great day. night, Let's everybody.
2: Go.